Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The T20 World Cup is coming to our shores in 2020 with the best of the best striving for the ultimate glory. Before that all kicks off, let's join Mel Jones as she chats to cricket royalty on road to the T20 World Cup. Known as Branch to her teammates because of her long limbs, Amy Satterthwaite has plundered runs for New Zealand across the world in white ball cricket. The captain of New Zealand will miss the T20 World Cup in Australia for a very exciting reason, and we will find out about that and a whole lot more on Road to the World Cup. Oh, she's hit it well. Don't tell me. She's done it. Oh, my God. Can you believe it? Look at Jamari Atapadu. Unbelievable swing of the bat from Amy Satterthwaite, and she sent it into a super over. Amy Satterthwaite, welcome along. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. I don't know how to quite introduce you at the moment because am I still introducing you as New Zealand cricket captain or are you a little bit of hiatus now as where we are definitely showing here? How many months <laughs> pregnant are we? Uh, I've almost lost count, but we're 31 weeks, so there's only nine to go, which is starting to get a bit real and a bit scary. <laughs> <laughs> and you say we because loitering in the background, we will mention that Leah is in the background here. We might even drag her in at some stage just to clarify it and make sure that we don't over-embellish some hundreds or how well you've played. Um, but you're feeling good? Yeah, I've been feeling really good so far, so I can't complain too much. I know there's a lot of people that suffer with some pretty horrendous morning sickness and things, so I've been really lucky on that front, so I can't complain too much. <laughs> and and do you say that you are captain of the New Zealand women's cricket team at the moment? Or? Well, everyone else does, so I guess there I we have go. to. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't, um, obviously, you know, no one's officially been appointed or even appointed um, as of yet because we're not playing till January, so I guess we've had that luxury and a bit of time to, to work through it, and we've got a bit of domestic cricket and things, so yeah, until that, that moment, I'm still officially in the position. Are you missing it? I am, um, but I know I've got you know some really exciting things ahead, so you kind of remind yourself of that. But yeah, certainly with the big bash starting and, and watching it on TV and um, seeing the girls play, and you yeah, sort of been itching to to be out there. But uh, it's been it's been different, but I'm sure it'll be good for me in the long run. Okay, you are probably. I think interview number two, once we roll it all out for the Road to the World Cup. And what we're going to do is ask two questions to everyone that comes on the show. The first one is your most vivid, your most enjoyable, most uh, emotional sporting memory that you can think of. It doesn't have to be within your playing career. It can be anything that's uh, been a touch point for you. I'm not great with these sort of um, memories and, and looking back, but certainly the the Rugby World Cup 2011 at home, um, the All Blacks playing France in the final, and I think we were on our try line defending, and um, you know the, the points difference meant that we couldn't afford to to give away a penalty and we were, you know, getting the balance right of, of defending and not having too many in the ruck and that sort of thing. It was, um, I know there was a lot of girls were watching it as a group and a lot of emotion with that um, game and, and just to see them get over the line was, was pretty special um, for a nation. Uh, it's pretty passionate about rugby and, and seeing that, but yeah, that's one that, that probably sticks with me. Um, but I think as well, I've, I've got a memory of playing for Canterbury and we played our, our arch rivals, Auckland, it's always a, a big game in a final when it was 50 overs and we're chasing only 190 so you know it's not too big a score. Um, going pretty pretty well with the bat in a reasonably comfortable position and then we were 
I think needing 10 off the last two overs, five down, you sort of think, you know, we're okay here, but it's still on a bit of a knife edge. Somehow we lose four wickets in those two overs, um, and it gets to the point um, that our 19-year-old um, youngin has got to come out, walks to the middle, needing two runs to win off the last ball. The players are, are surrounding her, and she manages just to really calmly just stroke it through cover, easy as you, as you like, um, and get us the winning <laughs> runs. And just like she'd been been playing for years. And there was a lot of emotion with that game. And I, certainly that's one that sticks with me for, for a long time. And just um, to see the way that you sort of rode the emotion of that last couple of overs and, and came out on top. There was, I think, yep. a few st- spikes put through people's feet and the, the celebrations <laughs> occurred. But, yeah, it's one that probably sticks with me for a while. Well, speaking of celebrations and injuries through celebrations, um, I've had the... Well, I was going to say the pleasure. It wasn't the pleasure at all, but I was over for the for the women's IPL recently, an exhibition match, and um, Leah's shaking her head in the background here, but there was a dislocated shoulder arising from a celebration of winning a fantastic match. Leah scoring two, I think it was, out of the 50-run partnership. You didn't see it happen, but could you believe it actually happened? Yeah, you know, I, I actually was awake. It was middle of the night, and, you know, when the... I guess playing and, you, and you're wanting to see how they get on. I can't help myself, but yeah, <laughs> um, have a, have a bit of a squiz. And I, I kept an eye on the scorecard and things. And Susie was obviously watching because they hadn't made the final and yeah. having a few conversations with her. And and then she's like, I think Leah's hurt herself. And so there was that sort of tense back and forth of of emotion of, of that as well. And it was um quite an interesting sort of few minutes waiting to see what it, what had happened. But um yeah, and then she said, I'm pretty sure she's I'm like, oh that shoulder. Yep. Um, <laughs> You know, sort of struggling to believe how she'd done that. She wasn't on strike. You know, wasn't facing what's going on here. But yeah, yeah was, uh, for those crazy. that didn't see the footage, it was uh, hit the run for the for the win, running through, punched the air for the celebration, and then dislocated shoulder, which has kept Leah out of cricket now for what four months and and rehab. Yeah, it's some um, again. You don't want to say it was a fortunate time for it to happen, but we had our first kind of winter where we haven't had cricket for a long time, and so. It allowed her to come home and, and rehab and, and be back for the Big Bash, which has worked out to be pretty good timing, thankfully, but um, certainly not something you want to want to go through. We're going to get into your career. I just wanted to come back on the All Blacks because it's hard not to speak about New Zealand sport and not touch point with them. I won't bring up the semi-final against England <laughs> in, the, in the recent <laughs> Rugby World Cup, but how much does the All Blacks play a part of people growing up in New Zealand, sporting-wise and just life-wise? Yeah, it's it's huge. It's um it's almost like a bit of a religion in our country in a way, and in some manners, I think it's a really good thing. It kind of brings the nation together, and and in some, it's probably we hold on to it a little bit too much. And um, they've had such a phenomenal record over the last probably ten or so years that at times when they lose, you sort of you have to remind yourself that they are human and they're a sporting side that can lose. You know, it's it's allowed to happen. <laughs> um, and I think some people struggle to remember that and almost just think that. They just can't lose. It just can't be a thing. And um, yeah, so it's a really sort of interesting time for us as, an, as a nation because they have been so successful. But like I say, they've certainly brought us together a lot um, and, and something that, you know, everyone, I guess we're known for in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. You know, tourists and whether they follow sport or like sport, but everyone knows about the All Blacks. Um, it's an amazing brand, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal that such a small country can achieve something like that and I guess get a reach to, you know, so many hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the world. Yep. Uh, I think if you ask a lot of people around the world too, if you think of something that is synonymous with New Zealand, they'll think the All Blacks, then they'll probably think of sheep as well. You grew up <laughs> in a sheep farm. What was what was the enjoyable or the frustrating or the hard thing about growing up on a farm like that? I loved it, to be honest. Um, 
probably wish that I could you know spend more time up there as I've got older and sort of been drawn away from it but it's certainly something I'm extremely thankful that I was able to I guess grow up on the farm and just get out and about and help dad and I think mum probably got frustrated that I didn't help her in the garden more I seemed to enjoy <laughs> getting out on the farm too much but um no I, yeah like I said I just I think it, it probably taught me a lot as well um as a person you know there's a lot of discipline and, and hard work and, and that sort of thing but you know, I just had a lot of enjoyment out of what I was doing with it as well. Can you shear sheep? There's one thing I never quite learned to do. Okay. I did have, <laughs> have one crack at it, um, but yeah, I would have loved to have been able to uh, do it a bit more. But I, I left um, home for boarding school at the age of 13, so I probably wasn't quite strong enough to, to hold them back then and, <laughs> and complete it. But yeah, no, I certainly have done a lot of things I guess, on the farm over the time that I've yeah, thoroughly enjoyed. And still a connection with animals because you were a manager at a, a vet as well before playing? Yeah, I um, went to university and studied a, a Bachelor of Science in Animal Science. I think mostly just because they had a sports scholarship there that I went for. So I think I just picked something random out of the curriculum to, <laughs> Ulterior to study, yeah, pretty okay. much. <laughs> yep. um, but yeah, so I always had that I guess, passion for, for animals and, and managed to fall into this job really um, at a vet clinic and started off as a technician, um, ended up working with a lot of dairy cows, which wasn't okay. always my favourite Sort of animals I'd rather prefer to be out with the sheep and beef, but uh, they grew on me. Um, and I learned a lot of skills in that, actually. I learned how to pregnancy test a cow, which I won't tell too many people. But Oh, no, we, n- we yeah. must hear. <laughs> it's um, not a very glamorous job. Um, but We can cut this out. We'll see how we go. Come on, <laughs> give it to us. Give us the nuts oh, and bolts of it. What, what you sort of imagine, I guess, you get the long glove that comes up under the armpit and then um, being able to palpate um, through the rectum and, and be able to feel... The uterus and it, as the calf gets bigger, be able to feel the calf and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's um, a pretty crazy experience, but yeah, not one that I'm sure a lot of people would be putting their hand up to do. We might need to put a, a listener's warning on the uh, <laughs> on this podcast, but good to know. I think it's life experiences, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, okay, so around animals for most of your life, uh, growing up watching the All Blacks, was there other sports other than cricket before you got, got stuck into this? Yeah, I, I played every sort of sport, I think. Um, obviously, growing up in the country, there was slightly limited options. I played golf um, with the men on a Saturday, which I'm pretty thankful that they let me do that. I'm not sure if they um, you know, wanted me there, but no, it was they were pretty good with that. And and then at, at school, I played rugby till I was under, I think it was under nines, and then mum wouldn't let me play anymore. What um, position? Oh, I think you just played everywhere at okay. that age, didn't you? Just you just followed the ball, yep. But <laughs> I then found out later on that mum played rugby at university, so I was pretty annoyed that actually she made oh, me stop wow. at under nine. But there you go. It's have right. we had this discussion with mum since? I probably haven't, but we'll hold on to it. For and will you have this same discussion with your soon-to-be? Oh, look, I think we'll let them decide what sport okay. they want to, or maybe they won't play sport. Who knows? Well, <gasps> no. Time will tell, but okay. hopefully they will do. Will you be okay with that? No, probably not. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and then, yeah, fortunately, I went to boarding school in, in town and I played all sorts. I played squash, water polo, basketball, volleyball, netball, you name it. I sort of, you know, gave it a crack. Yeah. I think um, rowing really wanted me to give that a go. Long it was levers. Really, yes, yeah, I long levers. <laughs> it was really big at our, our school. And unfortunately, it um, clashed with cricket on a Saturday. So okay. that was one thing I didn't didn't try. But, yeah, I just loved any sport, really. So why cricket? Oh, good question. Dad played. <laughs> it was Fair a big enough. part of it at the yeah. start. Um, I was always walking around following him when he played. Uh, I think I had a bat in my hand as soon as I could walk and, and even stood. I mean, Mum and Dad were saying that 
stood in the kitchen um, in my stance with this little bat that I'd been given, and no one had shown me how to how to do it. It was just obviously, I don't know, I just had this passion in, for it, and um, it's just sort of grown from there. And I played with the boys throughout um, the younger years, as I think a lot of girls that have played um, sort of did. And yeah, you you just put up with the the stick that you got and the number <laughs> of ducks that they keep reminding you you got, but you sort of stuck at it, and for some reason keep going back and. And then fortunately got to the opportunity to play in all-girls teams from probably about 13 onwards. And, yeah, yeah I really enjoyed that, that transition and just, yeah, it's sort of gone from, from there. You did as a standard of club cricket, state cricket, uh, he was, batter, bowler? I think in the Canterbury squad, sort of fringe of the squad. And yeah. I believe Bob Carter, who's our new white fence coach, yeah. was actually around coaching back then. So um, there you go, full full swing. But Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he was he was a handy cricketer in his own right. He was left-handed as well, so copied that side of it. I think he did a little bit of wicket-keeping and um, things as well, so, yeah. Speaking of left-handers, if I read right, Stephen Fleming was uh, <laughs> a role model. Is that one because you probably wouldn't have seen a lot of women's cricket as you were growing up anyways, but two, because he was left-handed? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I think definitely the, the lack of exposure to women's cricket. You certainly grew up watching... Um, Stephen Fleming, Nathan Astle, Chris Keynes, Chris Harris. We were very fortunate in Canterbury to have a, a really talented and, and um, successful calibre of players playing in that era. So, yeah, I think it was um, awesome to go down and, and watch them at our local grounds and um, obviously then the Black Caps as well. But, yeah, I certainly think that um, yeah, the lack of exposure to the women's game probably meant that you yeah, did roll, grow up with the role models being, being male and Stephen Fleming was certain, certainly one of them. Kumar Sangakara was one of them, Ricky Ponting. I guess those sort of yeah. classical kind of batters were always the ones that I seemed to, to really enjoy watching. You mentioned that you didn't have the female role models growing up. If you were a young girl now watching cricket, who would be your role models within the, in the sort of cricketing sporting world at least? I think two names kind of spring to mind that um, to a certain extent are fairly obvious, but Susie Bates and Elise Perry would be right up there. I think um, for me, it's the way that they go about their work. Um, they're both very naturally talented athletes, but I think they've recognised that that was not going to get them to the top of their game and, and the amount of hard work that had to go into that. Um, and their work ethic is just second to none. But I think that's probably led to a lot of their success and um, helped them be really successful. But to be honest, the biggest part of why I think they'd be um, amazing role models is, is the balance that they have with cricket and life um, and they've recognised that whilst cricket is a huge part of their life and how hard they have to work to, to be successful at it you can really get a sense of how much they enjoy things away from cricket uh, how important that is to, to have that balance to ensure that they can then perform on the park I think um, they've acknowledged over the years probably it when they were a bit younger, that they probably cricket was everything, and, and you were thinking about you know talking about the next training and the next yeah. whatever is on the agenda to do with cricket. Whereas now they're able to do their training, work extremely hard, and, and sort of switch off and, and go away and enjoy other things. And I think that's something that um, I think a lot of people, sports people, should aspire to to have that balance. Elise Perry mentioned that in her book that she's just brought out, Perspective, um, which is fittingly titled as well. Um, they're both multi-sport athletes. As well, do you think that there's something in that for for young boys and girls growing up to be able to um, experience a, a multitude of sports before they they find their niche? Yeah, I, I really do. I think um, you hear a lot of parents 
sometimes talking about, you know, their kids will have to choose what sport yet and I sort of think, you know, let them play both if it's both or, or more than that for as long as possible. There's obviously a, a balance of um, not burning out, but yeah. I think that balance of, of playing multiple sports is, is certainly huge and it kind of gives you, I think, the enjoyment of, to come back to, you know, say you're playing hockey over winter and you, you come out and play cricket over summer that you sort of enjoyed the hockey for six months or whatever and, the, and then you, you get to the season of, of cricket and you're really excited about what lies Fresh. ahead in it. Yeah, yeah, it gives you that kind of spark. So I think there's that element to it and then there's also just the, the skill set acquisition side of it that um, you gain different things from different sports and that only can be a good thing. I'm going to take you back to your debut. Not too many people can say that they debuted in Darwin. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> it's been a massive change, isn't it, for, for cricket? That I was looking at the, where you played in and around that time. So it was Darwin, it was Taunton in England, uh, Lincoln outside of Christchurch. That, you know, that we're, we're going back a few years now. But now when you look at where, the, where they're playing and we've got a, a final at the MCG coming up, um, you've played at the SCG, the Lords at Wankedi for the women's IPL. Um, it's been a, an amazing shift and recently, it feels as if it's reasonably quickly, although we know that there's been a long history of women's cricket. Yeah, definitely been a huge shift. Um, and I think, like you say, it has been extremely quick, really, when you put it in the scheme of things, but um, and, and phenomenal to kind of been a part of it. And like you say, when we started and, and where we were playing and who we were playing in front of and those sorts of things, to think where it's come in a relatively short space of time is extremely exciting and um, just you're privileged to have been a part of it, but I think Rachel Priest and myself might be the only two that can say they debuted in Darwin. <laughs> going back, showing my age, going back a few years now, but um, yeah, it's just it, it speaks volumes for the fact of where we can play these days as to how the women's game is perceived and and where it's put um, in terms of priority and and yeah, I guess that respect that we we sort of have earned over the last wee while as well. When you debuted, do you remember your role in the team? And is it similar <laughs> to what it is now? <laughs> I think it's changed a little bit. Um, I probably started more as a, a bowler um, that could bat a little bit in the middle order. And now I, I'm and more what type of a of bowler. Um, we can call it seam off the wrong foot. <laughs> if anyone's seen Chris Harris bowl, it's fairly similar to that. But, um, is it because you grew up watching him on TV, do you think? Probably. Or, just, yeah. yeah you know, mimic what he does, but... <laughs> Because um, I, I see, I see a lot of Ricky Ponting and Meg Lanning, and Ponting was Meg Lanning's mm. role model. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting to see how you do you end up sort of shaping yourself based on on what you're watching. Um, but yeah, I think I have changed a little bit since then. Obviously, turned into a bit more of an off spinner, although it's you know, questionable whether it's off spin <laughs> or, or still just medium pace or shorter <laughs> run up. But um, and I, I think I'd like to the probably the biggest thing is is just being more of a, a batter and have grown in that sense and been able to be more consistent in the last sort of what, five or so years and, and contribute more to the team in that sense is probably being the biggest area I've probably grown as a player. Do you remember your debut ton? I think it's I think <laughs> most people would probably be over the moon to say that it was against Australia. Yeah, I do remember it. It was something that had eluded me for quite a few years and um, something that I'd, you know, I'd always wanted to Took off at some point. Um, I think Meg Lang robbed me of it the game before by a couple of runs, getting me on the toe um, <laughs> at the SCG, I believe. But um, yeah, just it was awesome to be able to to get it and and also against Australia. But in vague memory, I'm pretty sure we um I have lost that game as well. So I'd take the win over the hundred any day. But yeah. it's pretty. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it. 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Any bowling attack when it includes Perry, Lisa Stalaker, Jess Jonathan. Are you the kind of person who remembers ball by ball blow or do you just remember bits of it? Do you remember thinking, I'm close here, how am I going to celebrate? No, I don't remember how I was going to celebrate, although afterwards I thought it did a pretty average job of it. But um, <laughs> no, I think more... You didn't, you didn't celebrate like Lee. No, I managed to keep shoulder. my shoulder yeah. in place, thankfully, <laughs> and, and continue on for a little bit longer. But um, I think I remember, to be honest, I remember more the odd shot. And if it was one that you play and you sort of think, how did I play that? Yeah. Um, Where did that come from? Kind yeah. Of thing? Yeah. Um, I remember facing Sharon Melanto, I think it was, back yep. then, and she wears the cap running mm-hmm. in it's sort of sits pretty distinctly in the mind, but um, yeah, and just playing a couple of shots of her that you sort of wonder where it's come from. And, and I think that's when you know you're in a pretty good zone and it's sort of just happening pretty instinctively and you're in a in a place, um, yeah, that you can kind of try and ride it for as long as you can. Speaking of the zone, you were well and truly in the zone over 2016-17, four consecutive hundreds. This is where I'm going to come back and have a chat also about Kumar Sangakara because he also did that. Um, 137 not out, 115 not out, and then you didn't bat in the next game. Then 123 all against Pakistan, and then 102 against Australia. And then you just fell 15 runs short of doing it again, because 85 <laughs> against Australia. Renee Farrell got you on that one, so you can put her on your hit list along with uh, Elise Perry as well. What was your mindset throughout that period of time? I think just being so clear... Um it's always easy to say, but when you're in that kind of zone, you just, it is a classic case of sea ball, hit ball, and the timing probably is one of the biggest thing. It's just all flowing. Um, and, and when you go through patches of, of not being able to score runs, um, I've often looked back at those games and tried to watch footage and, and find the little gem that you sort of think, what was it at that time? But I don't think that it was, you know, you're technically in this amazing place or it's just, you're sort of, yeah, more in this kind of mindset um, somehow that you just, you're just really relaxed, clear and know how you want, want to play each bowler and kind of just flows. It's a really hard thing to kind of describe and a hard thing to almost replicate and one that when you've been through it, you, you're desperate to try and get back to it and probably the harder <laughs> you try, the, the less often you get there. But um, yeah, it was one that probably at the time, again, you, you don't quite understand almost what you're going through and... and Looking back on it, you realise, I guess, how special it was. It's a wonderful word flow, and I, I completely get what you mean in terms of the difficulty in explaining it. But if you can go back, could you also say, though, it's off a, a mountain of training and preparation and, and workload as well? Could you look back to that period of time and say, yeah, there was there was a lot of balls being hit? Yeah, I can. Um, and ironically, I, I think it was around a period where I played a bit of indoor cricket. Um, okay. And there's always been a big debate about how indoor cricket yeah. affects outdoor. And I think I had a lot of balls with that. Um, and it just meant that I played the ball really late. And that was yep. probably had been one of my biggest challenges in outdoor cricket is wanting to feel the ball on the bat and you're sort of reaching for it. And one thing that indoor probably helped with that is, like I say, really letting the ball come because you had to you had to play it late in indoor, otherwise you yeah. were, were going to get out. So, <laughs> um, 
I think that was one thing that I remember from that period, and um, yeah, one, that seemed to just just put me in a a really good place. But certainly, I know you're you're hitting a lot of balls, um, and but you sort of got to have a still a purpose about it um, and what you're trying to achieve. And I know for me, if I'm hitting balls and hitting them well, and you sort of gain that confidence, you take it into the middle. Whereas if you're kind of scratching around in the nets and something's not quite right, you you've got to find a way to leave that in the nets and not take it to the middle but it's certainly easier when it's um it's working for you in the nets as well cricket's a very superstitious sport <laughs> um it wasn't anything to do with a favorite bra or not that i remember no, okay <laughs> but i have been known to yeah you're still sort of wearing the same maybe your favorite undies and yeah you the skins and so yeah, 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 yeah definitely yeah. washed yeah, okay. 100%. <laughs> yeah you're frantically finding the laundry the night before but no <laughs> Yeah, I think we're we're a bit of a special breed as cricketers sometimes when it comes to that sort of stuff. Oh yes, that we are. That we are. Um, you mentioned before about um, the balance and Elise Perry and Susie Bates finding that balance. Um, married recently, expecting your first child. Is that balance in your life away from cricket helped you as well? Massively, yeah. I think um, to be honest, I probably have to give a lot of credit to to Leah in the way that she's made me grow as a person in the ten years. I think. Um, I was very much about cricket and it was everything early on in my career and I think she's helped me to see that there's more to life than than that and find that balance and that's um yeah, find that enjoyment away from it and, and have other things and, and that's I think really helped me as a person to to get to a point where I have been able to probably perform as consistently as I have in the last five or so years and you get so hung up on selections and I think there was a the T20 World Cup in Bangladesh that I missed out on before this kind of lucrative period of scoring runs. And it just seems like such a rock bottom kind of low moment. And I think afterwards we got engaged and you just, you realise that there's more to, to life than just cricket. And yeah, it sort of was one of the, the better winters I've probably had of, of being able to um, get away from it for a, for a bit. And then um, came back into that season kind of, you knew the selectors were there at games and in the past you probably stressed about it a lot and I just, I got to the point that I was able to relax a lot more about it and think, well, they can see what they see and if they, they want me, they do, and if they don't, they don't and, and find a way to kind of be at peace with it almost. And yeah. Yeah, it was probably a, a big turning point for me as a player. Does she bounce you in the nets? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> She's proud if she hits me in the helmet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. more bounces than Yorkers or half volleys. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. she's... um. A, it's always she's one nodding a lot in the background. Yes, yeah, she is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Especially if it's indoors and she's got that extra little bit of zip. But um, it's one thing we've probably tried to be, I guess, been quite important for us is, is separating the personal life and the cricket life. And you know it's always a challenge. But when we're at training or we're playing, we're, we're there as cricketers. We're not there as, as partners. And um, it's always, yeah, I guess, easier said than done, but something that we've tried to really uphold where we can. One of the big shifts... Um within our sport over the last little bit has been the support from, from national bodies and from the ICC all the way down. The new parental policy that's come in both in both countries, in New Zealand and, and Australia, I think, has opened a lot of people's eyes to the way in which sport needs to be more inclusive and more supportive of. Did you guys, when you were looking at, you know, at, at falling pregnant, is it, was that part of the process of thinking that there was that support there or was it a situation where you just said, no, well, we're going to do it anyways? No, to be honest, there wasn't. Um, I guess when we decided, it was we just decided it was around what was right for us as a family. But um, when we were making those decisions and thinking about it, there wasn't 
anything in place and our current MOU was, was sort of running and you know, the new one wasn't um, you know, up to, to be looked at for, for a while yet. So it was something that was about what was right for us. It wasn't yeah. looking at, um, yeah, I guess that, that side of it. I think um, it's always just sort of the people that we've, we've been, you just, you know, like I say, what's, what's right for us as a family and just fortunate that it's you know, worked out the way that it has. Do you see yourself as trailblazers? Someone asked me this the other day, and to be honest, not really. Like, I think it's probably a secondary thing that um, comes with it, and and you sort of think, okay, you know, that's that's great that it is, but it's certainly not something that we've set out to do by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, we've we've done a couple of things, I guess, throughout our lives. You know, we've we obviously put out there that we have been got married and and those sorts of things, and you realise in the I guess the industry that you're working in that you are public figures and there is an element yeah. of that and we've always been quite private people so it's been a bit of a, a balancing act for us to how much information do you give and how much do you sort of keep holding on to but um, we acknowledge as well that the game's changing and there's a lot of you know I guess different things happening and people out there that if you can influence in a positive way someone then you know that it's um, been a worthwhile thing to do. Yeah I think a you know, just from my perspective in, in chatting to, you know, a variety of different people, it's um, people sort of looking at cricket as a bit of a, a leader in this space now. I suppose the next question then is, you know, will you be back? <laughs> it's a very big question. That I, <laughs> it is, um, isn't it? <laughs> my, my hopeful answer is yes. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I think... I think I can hear everyone cheering <laughs> from here. <laughs> oh, look, time will tell. There's a lot of, you know, water under the bridge to, to go, as I say, but um, I obviously haven't been through this journey before, um, been a parent before and those sorts of things. So we're going to have to, to see how it goes. But the ultimate goal would be to be back and, and playing the, the World Cup. 50-over World Cup in New Zealand in 2021 would be the yeah the, the ultimate sort of situation, I guess. You've just arrived to work with the Renegades. Have we have they been giving you any name suggestions? Not yet, um, but I'm sure in the next couple of weeks they'll, they'll be throwing a lot at me, for sure. <laughs> Um, let's let's move on to the T Twenty World Cup. It's it's getting closer and closer as the days go by. Obviously, um, for you to be sitting back and and watching, I guess, how tough will that be? It'll be tough. Um, I have no doubt. But um, at the same time, like I say, I'll be on a completely new journey and one that I'm sure will be very exciting and um, will give me again a, a different perspective on life and um, different balance. I guess to to add to the mix, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure it'll be challenging. But at the same time, to me, that almost just reiterates that I still do want to come back and, and have a little bit more to give. 2000 was the last time that New Zealand won a World Cup. You would have been 14, roughly, I would have thought. Yeah, around there, yeah. 13 or so, yeah. Did you see it on TV? Were you, I was there. You were there? Yes. You are on the yeah, grassy we were, knoll? We were coming back from a, a family trip down south somewhere and, um, it just worked out really well to, to call in and watch the end of the game, and it was yeah, a pretty phenomenal thing to to see there and um, experience. And what do you remember um, from the day? I guess the the tense nature of the finish of the game, um, and then just the the sheer joy and um, sort of exhilaration, I guess, from the result and sense of achievement in a way from what's probably a slightly underdog sort of team in yeah. going into that game. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's something that we've probably drawn on a lot. Um, as players over the last wee while, and we're playing, you know, in some of these events, and to think what they achieved in that moment um, just shows that 
you can do it if, if you sort of, all the sort of ducks fall in a row, as they say, yeah. on the day. But um, it just shows that anything's possible. And then two World Cup finals post that, 2009, which was at Lords, which was the first T20 uh, World Cup <laughs> final. It wasn't, it was a pretty one-sided affair where, where England took that one out. And then the complete flip of that in Barbados in 2010, it was a short turnaround when uh, Elise Perry's boot, that name keeps popping up for you, mm. doesn't it? <laughs> Got in the way. Might of, have a word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been, you've been knocking on the door and you've been there and thereabouts. What is that, that magic key, that little turn of the key to get you... Over the line. Yeah, we've been searching for that for a wee bit, um, desperate can to you find your, it. But and, I mean, it's a silly question in a sense of can you put your finger on it? But do you think it changes every year because everything is changing so much within the cricket space? Yeah, there's an element of that. I think um, that 2010 World Cup will probably haunt me for the rest of my life. But I think it was one that we certainly lost. Um, we had a real wasn't opportunity. just the last ball. Like there no. were so many moments in that game, wasn't there? Absolutely. And the position that we had Australia in um, in the first innings, and I think Lisa Stalaker managed to scramble a few runs at the end to get them in a you know a slightly stronger position yeah. to finish. And um, but our batting probably epitomised what that missing key is in a way. Um, there's a little bit of panic at times when they didn't need to be, and and I think Australia just know how to win. And it's something that's incredibly hard to learn when you haven't probably been there. Um, and and in those sort of key pivotal moments, and it's something that we're going to have to find and find quickly and find a way to, to kind of do it, even if you haven't got the experience necessarily to, to be able to then get over the line. Do you think then that uh, so many of the players within the squad at the moment have been playing in franchise cricket around the world? So, you know, you've got, as you mentioned before... Um, Susie Bates and Sophie Devine are at the Adelaide Strikers. You guys are at uh, the Renegades. Amelia Kerr's joined the WBBL this year um, and has played in the Kia Super League. Learning to win in different teams and different competitions. Can they? Can you sort of transfer that into a into a group into a New Zealand setup and say, well, we've collectively we are learning how to win, and that can you know be um, be put on the field as as a one unit. Yeah, I think so. I think their experience is is huge and. That's almost the beauty of the way that the game's gone these days with all these um, opportunities to play around the world and, and different competitions is exposes you to multiple opportunities to have those learnings. And I think prior to that, we had a lot of players that were just playing domestic cricket and we had a an era where probably one or two teams tended to dominate it and, and then only those players got exposed to that kind of winning moment and, and like I said, learning how to win. So... Having the yeah the opportunity for a lot of our players to play around the world and, and play in these tournaments has to be a a really good thing from not only a, a learning from a skill set point of view and exposing ourselves to different situations and challenges, but like you say the the learning to win and fight through those tough sort of patches and the pressure of that and the pressure that these sort of leagues bring has has got to be a really good thing. Okay, who are we looking at for this T Twenty World Cup for New Zealand to to lift their first T Twenty title? Oh look. I think Rosemary Meir is one for me that's really exciting. Um, she's a young player coming through. Glad and she you mentioned her, yeah. She only played um, in the last sort of 12 months or so. She had a bit of a baptism of fire playing against India and I think her first game in Mandana certainly put her around <laughs> the boundary a few times. But it sort of spoke volumes of her character. She came back um, later in the match and you almost wouldn't know that she'd gone through that, that over. And for a lot of people that would have really rocked them and... I think she's got a good head on her and, and she's also got a, a real skill set that's going to be an asset and especially over in these conditions, I'm excited to see how she goes. There's a build-up too for the fact that you've got the 
50 over World Cup coming up in 2021 as well. Um, it feels as if from an outsider looking in, there wasn't much of a, a legacy, if you want to throw that word, or, word around, from the 2000 World Cup win. How important is 2021 for New Zealand cricket? Oh, I think it's it's huge. It's um, certainly keeps probably a lot of us old ducks in the game. <laughs> I think that attraction of playing at home yeah. is, um, is a pretty special moment. Um, but I think as well it's coming at a pivotal time for New Zealand cricket um, and where we're at as a country and we've probably gone through a lot in the last wee while of looking at you know how we're investing in the game, resourcing the game, all of that sort of element of it and I think Australia and England have kind of led the way with that and almost forced other countries to take a look at themselves and see what they're doing and, and really improve our programs and it's credit to them in the way that they've led, led it and like I say then made everyone else sort of stand up and it's only then growing the women's game in general um, because of that. So I think that this World Cup at, at home is just going to be another kind of cog in the wheel with that. That's um, It's an opportunity to really expose our game to more people in our home country um, and, and hopefully inspire a lot of young girls and boys to to be a part of it and, and play the game and, and also get a lot of the young girls to realise that there is a career and a, a possible pathway if they want and in our sport, which is only going to be a good thing, and um, I'm really excited about what that tournament can do for us as a country. Biggest crowd you've played in front of? Oh, now you're testing my memory. I wouldn't be sure, but probably in excess of 30,000 at some point. Okay. Um, but I know there was the, the Lord's Game, that one you talked about in 2009. There was a lot of people there then, and um, the, even that Barbados game, I think we played after the men in that one. It was after, um, yeah. And so a lot of lot actually stuck around, and... Obviously, they're pretty uh, sort of flamboyant and, and loud kind of crowd, <laughs> so you certainly heard that they were there, that's for sure. <laughs> so then when you hear that uh, there's an attempted record of 92,000 for the T20 World Cup final at the MCG on March 8, um, I'm tipping you, regardless if New Zealand are in the final or not, you'd probably probably be there. <laughs> maybe not, maybe. maybe. We'll see how things go. One step at a time. Yeah. <laughs> what would that mean to you to see 92,000 plus for a, for a women's cricket final? It'll be huge. I think um, regardless of who you are in the women's game and whether you're a part of that final or not, I'm sure um, you know if you're not there, you're probably hurting quite a bit at the time, but I'd like to think that everyone can sort of step back and look at it and think what a pivotal moment it was. And we've had a lot of moments in the last sort of three or four years of where this, the game's really grown and gone from strength to strength and been a really exciting sort of part you know, to, to be a part of. Um, but... I don't know, there's just something about it that would just be that extra, you know, I don't know, just sort of impact um, that it would have and sort of statement probably more than anything yeah. um, on the world and, and on the game as to where we've come to and, and that we mean business and, and where it's kind of heading as well. It um, it's, won't be a, a stopping point, that's for sure. It'll sort of be a bit of a landmark as to, I guess, yeah, the direction that we're going in. And if you could write the script perfectly, <laughs> New Zealand v... Oh, Australia and we win. Okay. Yeah, I'm you, happy for them to be there, but we're bowling winning. second? Bowling second. Who's got the last over? Sophie Devine. Oh. You should have seen the look on Leah's face there. She's that's done okay. the damage before that. Okay. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on strike? Oh. Meg Lanning. She's okay. going to lose one. She's okay. going to lose one somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And it's court, bold, LBW. Bold, the, the stumps are flying. Stumps are flying. Sophie Devine gets Meg Lanning yeah. to win the World Cup for New Zealand, their oh. first T20 title. 
Yeah, absolutely. It sounds pretty good to me. Amy Satterthwaite, I just, I had the wee countdown as well, a wee bit, a wee, it's very Kiwi. <laughs> you, you only hit it about three times, so I was quite, <laughs> quite happy with that. <laughs> uh, thanks for being quiet in the background, Leah Tahuhu. Thumbs up from, from you. Um, all the best, guys, over the next uh, phase and early Jan, I think it is. Early Jan it is. Yep. Yeah, not long now. We'll be thinking of you. Um, and we'll see you at the uh, MCG on March, March 8. Look forward to it. Cheers. Thanks. <laughs>